Welcome to Newport Beach in the rearview mirror. I'm Bill Lobdell. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? Anyone? Anyone seen this before? Yep, you guessed it. It's time for another pop quiz on Newport Beach history. This one is the Origins Edition, which, as the name implies, covers the first couple decades of Newport Beach history. If you know a lot about Newport's earliest days, you're going to love this quiz. If you don't know anything about Newport Beach's beginnings, you're going to love this quiz. Newport's early history is just that good. For sure, it's the most interesting, by far, of any city in Orange County. And I'd put it in the top 10 of any city in California. And we've packed so much history into this quiz that I had to split it into two parts. This first section of the test is six questions long. One note before we get started, we're going to reference a lot of the sites around Newport by their current name. So that will be the default. I try to state the name of what it was before its current name, but the default will be whatever we're calling it today. It makes things a lot easier. For example, in the mid-19th century, Newport Bay was known as San Joaquin Bay. But in this episode, the default name I used was Newport Bay. All right, as they say in England, off we go. After Juan Rodriguez Cabrillo arrived on the California coast in 1542, European explorers and sea merchants spent the next three centuries, three centuries, sailing up and down the California coast. But in their journals or books written about the era, there's not a single mention of what's now Newport Bay. So question number one, why didn't Newport Bay make the historical record until the mid-1800s? A, the Native American population was so small there that there was no demand for trading. B, the area known for its swamps and thick clouds of mosquitoes repelled the curious. C, superstitious sailors believed the area was haunted. Or D, Newport Bay didn't exist at the time. The answer is D. The place just flat out didn't exist. Up until about 1825, the coastline of what's now Newport wasn't broken up by a peninsula or a bay. For those familiar with the area, Newport Beach shoreline was just a continuation of the bluffs and beaches of Crystal Cove. In other words, the bluffs you see along Newport Harbor were, at one time, at the ocean's edge. It's weird to think about. That was only 200 years ago. So what happened? The mighty Santa Ana River changed direction. Though it looks tame today, wrapped in concrete, as it runs between Newport Beach and Huntington Beach, the Santa Ana River historically was a raging body of water with enough force to carve out, over the course of 10,000 years, a million years, the 100-foot cliffs of the Back Bay as it made its way to the sea. But in 1825 or so, a major flood altered the course of the Santa Ana River again, and it, it began dumping out into the ocean near what's now the west end of the harbor, which is around Lido Isle. And the Santa Ana River delivered an endless stream 
of silt, mud, sand over the next few decades, all of which served as building blocks for the peninsula and islands of Newport Bay. In other words, the Santa Ana River was a harbor-making machine. In the mid-1800s, the U.S. government took one look at what was the newly formed bay and didn't think much of it. It gave warnings that it was dangerous, that boats shouldn't go in it. It wasn't going to put any funds into it to enhance or to turn it into a functioning harbor. So instead of funding a Newport Bay improvement project, the government decided to use its resources to better the Port of Wilmington in San Pedro, which is now the Port of Los Angeles. In hindsight, it's hard to argue with the decision. Okay, now fast forward 20 years to 1870. The Civil War had ended just five years before. Ulysses S. Grant was one year into his two terms as President of the United States, and Congress had just passed the 15th Amendment that gave blacks the right to vote. And on a late September day of that same year, Captain Samuel S. Dunnells steered the Vaquero, a flat-bottom steamship, up the California coast from San Diego, then made that fateful decision to turn into the recently formed bay. And let's just be honest, it was a very poor excuse for an inlet. To find a new port. Two words, new port. After that new port was found, those two words quickly became one word, new port. So there's no doubt that Captain Dunnells either read that government report a decade or so earlier warning everybody against going into Newport Bay, or he'd heard about it. But still, he chugged up the unexplored waters with his cargo of 5,000 wooden shingles and 5,000 feet of lumber. His boat was uniquely qualified to do this. It was 110 feet long from bow to stern, but it drew only about four feet of water when fully loaded, so it was the perfect ship to navigate the shallows of Newport Bay. This leads us to question number two. Why did Captain Dunnells ignore the dangers and enter the bay to search for a landing? A, he had two fugitives on board from San Diego and he wanted to help them escape. B, he owed a large debt at the Port of Wilmington and was looking for a way to unload the lumber elsewhere. C, he had heard there was a growing market for lumber created by farmers settling in what's now Orange County, and in particular, the land that's now Costa Mesa, which obviously is right next door to Newport Bay. D, he needed to find fresh spring water to cool the boilers in his steamer. The answer is B and C. To get to the bottom of most stories, you just need to follow the money, and that was the case with Captain Dunnells and his decision to explore Newport Bay. He was trying to escape debt that he owed up at the Port of Wilmington, and he heard there was increasing demand created by new farming settlements near Newport Bay. Those farmers desperately needed wood to construct fences. The, the Irvine Company cattle operation was basically free range, so they needed to fence off their crops from these cattle that are roaming the lands and for building houses 
to ba basically for developing an entirely new community from scratch. And, and guess what? It turned out to be a savvy business decision by Captain Dunnels. And it turned out to be a godsend to the farmers who no longer had to get lumber and goods from faraway ports. And it also became a cash cow for the operators of the new port. There is a postscript to this part of the quiz. Old Captain Dunnels couldn't outrun his debts forever. The vaquero was eventually seized by the Los Angeles sheriff to make good on what he owed merchants at the port of Wilmington. It seems to me like an inglorious end to a boat that should have wound up in a Newport Beach museum. Question number three. Where did Captain Dunnells land the vaquero and establish a new port? A. Balboa Island. B. Just inside the harbor entrance at China Cove. C. Lower Castaways at Dover Drive and West Coast Highway. Or D. Near the Balboa Pavilion. The answer is C. The Lower Castaways. He piloted the Vaquero through the bay and well into the upper Newport Bay before turning around and landing it at the castaways. Since the steamer was a sternwheeler, he probably just pulled up on the mud flap, bow first, and later, when it was time to go, the paddle wheel was simply put in reverse and the boat was launched back into the bay. The lower castaways was a very convenient site. It was positioned between the upper and lower Newport Bays. It had fresh spring water and allowed local farmers and merchants a much more convenient and safer way to import and export goods than traveling to Anaheim Landing, which is now the site of the Seal Beach U.S. Weapons Station between Sunset Beach and Seal Beach, or Wilmington and San Pedro, or to the south, Dana Point, or even San Diego. Remember, there were no bridges across most of the rivers at that time, so that made travel especially with a wagon full of goods, dangerous most of the time. And during the rainy season, it could be deadly. To put this all into context, a rickety wooden bridge wouldn't be built over the Santa Ana River until a decade after the founding of Newport Landing. After news spread about Dunnell's new port and the successful selling of lumber, a tiny village sprang up on what's now the Lower Castaways property. It had a wharf, warehouses, shanties, a two-story home for the port's operator, and a boarding house for workers. The settlement was known by several names, including Newport, Newport Landing, McFadden Landing, and Port of Orange. Question number four. Who were Newport Landing's first settlers? A, Portuguese fishermen, B, Mexican fishermen, C, Irish farmers and land speculators, or D, it really was a virtual United Nations of residents. The answer is D, it was a virtual United Nations of residents. For this answer, we're fortunate enough to be able to reference the 1880 census. About 35 people lived in that Bayside village including three Chinese fishermen, a Papago Native American, several Latinos, 
seven Portuguese, and a Scandinavian girl who had married Joseph Duarte, one of the residents there, and the couple would go on to have 12 children. Newport Peach wouldn't see this kind of diversity for more than a century later. Question number five. What made Newport Landing unique? A. Only one boat made port there. B. It had a retractable wharf to make room for larger boats. C. It had a tannery for the hundreds of bearskins brought to the port. Or D. It had a Pony Express station. The answer is A. Only one ship was allowed to use the port. The McFadden brothers, known as the founding fathers of Newport Beach, ran the port and quickly learned that the harbor entrance, and even the harbor itself, was too shallow for regular cargo ships. So in San Francisco, they commissioned the building of a shallow draft steam schooner called, what else, the Newport. The boat traveled from San Francisco to Newport Beach and back every two weeks and entered Newport Bay only on the highest tides. The boat carried passengers, merchandise, cattle, sheep, farm products, and, of course, lumber. If other ships wanted to unload in Newport, the cargo would be transferred to barges outside the harbor and then floated into the port. Two fun related facts here. First, sometimes, and I just love the ingenuity of this um, plan, this method, when the harbor entrance was especially dangerous, the waves were especially large, the ships would simply toss their load of lumber overboard, let the waves wash it up onto the shore at Rocky Point, which is now Corona del Mar, and after drying on the beach, and after the seas calmed down, the lumber would be floated on barges to Newport Landing a few miles away. Second fun fact, boat captains were told they could find the entrance to Newport Bay by spotting the V in Saddleback Mountain, and that ran perpendicular to the entrance of the bay. Okay, here's the sixth and final question to the first part of our pop quiz on Newport Beach's origins. How did the sacks of grain and other products make it from the bluff that overlooked Newport Landing, and that's where farmers and others dropped off their goods, and then get into the cargo hold of the Newport steamer? A, a wagon pulled by mules made its way down the bluff. B, the cargo was hand-carried by Irish immigrants. C, the sacks were simply rolled down the bluff. D, the sacks were dropped into a 70-foot wooden chute and delivered directly into the hole of the Newport within seconds. You probably could guess this one. The answer is D. The McFadden's built a large three-story warehouse on the top of the bluff, and along with it, they designed a primitive but ingenious way of loading the Newport steamer. They built a chute that ran from the bluff top to the boat, and when it was time to, to load the cargo, they simply put a sack of grain or whatever the export into the chute and let gravity do the rest. Okay, that's it for the first part of the pop quiz on the beginnings of Newport Beach. It's time to study up for part two. You'll need to know the answers to such questions as, 
Why in the world did Newport Landing become a ghost town after 18 years? Who was Tom Rule? Why did the McFadden brothers pick the Newport Pier area to build an Oceanside Wharf? In other words, what made that area special? What went horribly wrong when building that wharf? And how did the McFadden brothers move the buildings from Newport Landing on the bay to the wharf they built on the ocean side of the peninsula? Woo, that's all for today. Thanks for getting into the podcast time machine with me and traveling back to the 1800s to visit Newport's youngest version of itself. We'll see you next time.